Quick programming note, it's Thursday afternoon as I record this. Kyle and I are going to be putting out a new episode of Crossing Broadcast either Thursday night or Friday morning. He's been in New Jersey covering the legalization of sports betting, so uh, he'll have a bunch of stories uh, from that, I'm sure. In the meantime, we wanted to make sure that we took the exclusive 22-minute interview that Anthony Sanfilippo and I did with Ron Hextall, the Flyers general manager, down in Voorhees, New Jersey at Skate Zone. We wanted to drop that in this channel. If you haven't had an opportunity yet and you're a Flyers fan or a family member or a friend is a Flyers fan, make sure you tell them about Snow the Goalie. The, the links are in the description down below. Get yourself subscribed to the show. Uh, in the meantime, we've got the interview and the immediate aftermath. Anthony and I kind of reflecting the day after uh, about what exactly we got out of Hextall in this interview, including some interesting comments on the Vegas Golden Knights' improbable run to the Stanley Cup final, the difference between rivalries and player interactions in his era versus uh, the modern-day NHL, and just overall, I think, what the Flyers and what Ron Hextall specifically are looking for in a player, not only in the draft, but as well as, you know, when they're looking at trades and free agent acquisitions. So hope you enjoy it. Make sure you go check out Snow the Goalie uh, on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts, subscribe. And uh, Kyle and I will be back either late tonight or early tomorrow. Thanks. pleased to have on the Snow the Goalie podcast, Russ, a guy who would never have allowed anyone to snow him when he was a goalie, and that's Flyers general manager Ron Hextall. Ron, thanks for joining us here on the on the podcast. We really do appreciate you taking the time to come out today. Thank you. It's a pleasure being here. Great. Um, it, it, we... I hope you're not implying I'm a goalie, though, by any <laughs> No, no, that's just, that the, going on. that's just the name of the podcast. And I just know Fair that, enough. Uh, I just know that you would never – got, got to remember, Ron, you're my era. Like, I grew up with hockey, and you were a player then, whereas these guys are a lot younger. They don't remember you. They just knew yeah. you as the general manager. I'm the problem. Yeah. <laughs> um, we solicited some questions from the fans, um, and the ones that we thought that would be uh, most reasonable that we would ask you today here in this. Um, but I wanted to start off with a little bit of, a, um, of an answer anecdote. It's really kind of funny because somebody asked me, a guy named BH Colorado at, on Twitter, asked me about Chris Chelios. And I said, he said, when's the last time Ron talked to Chris Chelios? And I, and I remember back when you first came back after your, your stint in LA, we were at a game in Detroit. And while I was up in the press box and I saw you like just having this ge genial conversation with Chris in the press box, and I was like, the little kid inside of me died. <laughs> <laughs> like so, yeah. I want I want you to do is I was I was hoping you could just kind of explain that these on ice how these on ice rivalries just kind of die away after time so that the fans I mean it's great for us to think that they live on for years and years and years but I just thought it would be kind of fun for you to kind of tell people that from the from the beginning. Yeah, I've actually heard that numerous times. Apparently, somebody got us on camera there in Detroit. They, they walk by us. There's no avoiding anybody. So. Um, we ran into each other and you know guys that play like that play that hard against you now that your career is over you actually respect those guys more than you do other guys that didn't play that hard so I've got an immense amount of respect for Chris Chelios and you run into people and you say hi and like I said there's a there's an awful lot of respect there that's awesome that's awesome see and then and, and now the fans can understand that Russ right yeah so uh, I, I mean 
that sounds like one that, that kind of, I guess, smoothed over over time. Are there, are there still some, you don't have to name names, we don't want to put you on the spot like that, but are there any rivalries that you had on the ice that have still carried over and haven't exactly dissipated with time? I don't know. I don't know if they carry over. I guess if you got back out in the ice, maybe, you know, who knows, but <laughs> not going there anymore, so I don't see any of those rekindling themselves. But, I mean, it was a little different then. Like, we didn't, um, we didn't have contact with the other players. I mean, I'd never met Chelios. Um, um, so it wasn't like nowadays where there's there's meetings and there's this and there's that. There was a – you didn't meet guys back then. You didn't know that Chris Chelios was a great guy off the ice. You just knew him on the ice like the fans did. And quite honestly, I didn't like him. Right. And I'm sure he didn't like me. And that's just – it's the way it was. Uh, there's some of that nowadays, but it's certainly not to the degree it used to be. Sure. Well, that kind of that's a kind of great thing that you say at that because it kind of leads into my that my next question. The era is so different in hockey today than it was back then. Um, there's so much information that's available to the public nowadays, um, and and I think it's my estimation that fans think they're a little bit smarter than they really are when it comes to the sport. So what I want, you know, I, I find myself a lot of times on social media trying to defend decisions that hockey teams make, not necessarily just the Flyers, but just hockey teams in general, when they when they make certain decisions. It, can you just give a brief overview as to how important it is to, to have a balance between you know the data you can collect from a game and what you know about the players as people and humans? Yeah. Because there, there has to be a balance there, correct? Oh, of course. I mean, there's, there's a lot of pieces that you we all use to make decisions to to move forward with the franchise to try to add to our team and part of it is personality certain players fit into a locker room you can't quantify uh, necessarily how how much effect one player has on a locker room or or for better or for worse and that plays into the 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 decision that that goes on whether you're re-signing someone or not re-signing them or trading them or trying to sign them long term and keep them for a long time like there's a lot of things that play into it. it's not just what happens on the ice obviously that's the bulk of it good player on the ice typically you're you're going to keep them a player that's also on the ice if you can upgrade you're going to upgrade but the personality thing um, particularly when you're looking at role players how does a role player fit in with the team how how happy is he in his role? Does he work hard every day? Does he support everybody else on the team? Is he part of the fabric of the team? Or is he looking elsewhere thinking, oh, I want to go to another team and uh, play 14 minutes instead of eight minutes? Like, there's a lot of things that play into decisions. And, you know, we've all, we've all got analytics and we've, we've all got uh, information that we gather from all of our players just from being around and watching them perform on the ice. So... Um, there's a lot that goes into decisions that people probably just look and they see the player and they go, okay, well, they're, they're moving that player or they're re-signing that player or they signed that player. What are they doing? Well, there's a lot more to it than, than certainly meets the eye. So you've been involved with multiple organizations as both a player and as somebody in a front office. So when you talk about a player's character, about what you're looking for off the ice, um, let's go with maybe the most two recent examples. So when we were at the Kings and now with the Flyers, do you find that a lot of the personality characteristics or uh, the things that you're looking to fill in the locker room are similar between the Kings and the Flyers, or is there something specifically about looking for a member of the orange and black that's different, some kind of differentiating factor? It's, I mean, character is, is, is huge because I always tell our scouts, the person ends up dictating whether a player meets his potential. 
That, that's reality. If you've got a good human being that's a character guy that really cares about playing hockey, chances are he's going to reach his potential, right? If you've got a guy that gets distracted and he's got all these other things going on in his life and hockey's important but maybe not quite as important, he's not going to hit his ceiling. So these are things you got to find out. And when we're doing research on free agents and, and different things like that, we're trying to figure out the whole package, not just, okay, the player goes out there and scores, you know, he's a 15-goal scorer and typically he gets 40 points. Okay, that's what he is. Well, let's look at all the other stuff now. How is he going to fit in with our group? Uh, is he going to complement our group? Is he going to be happy in a role? Uh, is he going to help other players, push other players, um, be, you know, choose to be a part of a team? Choosing to be a part of a team is a huge deal. It's, look at Vegas. It's a great example, right? They were the best team in the National Hockey League this year. No question about it. Were they the best talent? Fair to say they, they probably weren't, no disrespect, but they were the best team why they went to the Stanley Cup final. So that whole buying in the team thing, uh, hockey is, is obviously we all have families first, but after that it's hockey. That's what we want. We want guys that are, that are here to, to play hockey, to be pros, to represent our organization, and to be the best they can be on a nightly basis. When, when you're evaluating players for free agency or in, in trades, do you find that other front offices are, are willing to come forth and, and really give a, a good character assessment of a guy? Is that something that teams like to kind of keep close to the vest if they're looking to bring back that player? Or is that something that you kind of have to do through back channels, through players, mm. other relationships? There's different avenues that, that you go through to try and do as much research as you can. And everybody everybody does the same thing. Hockey world's a small world, and things get around in a hurry. If you get a guy that's not real uh, dedicated to the sport and doesn't work real hard and doesn't have himself in real good shape, typically it gets around pretty quickly. Since we last heard from you publicly, um, you got to spend a lot of time with the Phantoms um, on their run to the Eastern Conference Finals in the AHL. Um, we had a lot of questions about the Phantoms, but uh, at Wojcik Flyers fan asked, um, what did you see with the team and did anyone really stand out to you with their play, especially if they're players who could be given a little bit of a longer looking camp in a couple months? Yeah, no, we, we had lots of team, uh, players stand out, but I think the team that the thing that stands out the most for me is a team. They're a real good team. We talk about buy-in. We just did a minute ago that the buy-in was was absolutely terrific. You know, I think Toronto's up three to two right now. They win the Calder Cup. You know, our guys lost to Toronto, albeit it wasn't wasn't it was it was four zip. But three of the games were by one goal. And if game two, which we probably should have won, da da da, we can go on and on with it. But the the bottom line is there. If Toronto, in fact, wins a Calder Cup, you look and you go, our guys played them in the semifinals, got beat by a very good team. We had a young team. Um, we had a, you know, there's a lot of our prospects that showed a lot of growth. I mean, everybody talks about Alex Lyon, but there's there's many more besides Alex Lyon that, that showed a lot of growth this year. Obviously, you know, Phil Myers, I forget how many minutes he played in that five overtime game, 66. I think he showed a lot of growth. Uh, Nick Abu-Kibel showed a lot of growth. Uh, uh, Verobi have showed a lot of growth. So there was, you know, Travis Sanheim when he was there. He's up here. He was there. He went down there. It, it did him the world of good. He came back. He was a very good player. And at the end, he he went down and played very well for them. So that six weeks of playoff hockey for that whole group is it's it's gold. It's a type of experience. It's not NHL playoffs, but it does give you a bit a little bit of a sniff of six weeks of. American League playoff hockey, it's tough. It's tougher than the regular season. You're playing the same team. There is hatred. Like, that experience for our guys was terrific. And, again, they, there's a lot of different individuals that grew down there. That's great. You mentioned Alex Lyon. It makes me think of, for once, 
this organization has goaltending depth. Um, we haven't really seen that in Philadelphia in a long, long time. So when you look at coming into next season, you got the two guys signed under contract um, at the at the NHL level in Elliott and, and Neuver. You got Line, who showed that he could play a little bit at this level, had a great series down there. You got Stolarz coming back off the injury. You got Carter Hart coming. It seems like a little bit of a logjam, right? Is there something that maybe you probably have to do some massaging that might have to work out there? Yeah, we'll see what comes along there. We, we, we like our group. I mean, Brian Elliott did a very good job for us last year until he got hurt two-thirds of the way through the year. Nuvi had some really good games for us. I know Nuvi can be more, more consistent. We expect them to be more consistent last year. That was certainly the message um, at the end of the year. You know, the, the, the kids have all shown growth. Stoli had a little, a little bit of a speed bump, obviously, and his injuries, but sometimes that makes you a, a, a better goalie, better shape, appreciating the game, working harder, working at your game. Um, so we expect some growth from, from Stoli. Alex obviously grew a lot last year. It was It's funny, partway through the year, Alex is a very consistent goalie. It's one of his, when you look at his strengths, you say he's very consistent. He's very, he's a very level-headed kid. He doesn't get too high, doesn't get too low, and his game reflects it. Last year, he had a six-game streak where I think it was five of the six games, he didn't play very well. And it was kind of like, wow, you know, again, typically his strength, and he went through a little bit of a, a, a downturn there. And I, I, I talked to him a little bit about it, and he said, you know, I've, I've never been through anything like that before. So credit to him that he's never been through it, but also a learning experience for him as a pro to say, okay, next time when I go into this little funk, I'm going to change this, this, and this. And uh, he's very, he has a very honest assessment of himself. And you, know, you mentioned Carter. Obviously, Carter's a... Uh, top prospect for us and, and, and had a very good year out west. As a goalie yourself, do you, do you ever find yourself in more of a, a big brother role? I don't want to say father. You're, you're quite young still. <laughs> so, uh, But is, is that something, do you, do you kind of find yourself a little bit gravitating more towards kind of, uh, you know, helping, helping young goaltenders kind of find their way between the AHL and the NHL? Or is it something where, you know, everybody, you're, you're like a parent yeah. where all the kids are equal and you don't want to? Yeah, certainly the kids are all equal, but... Uh, um, We've got we've got Kim Dillabaugh, Brady Robinson, and goalie guys. Um, they do certainly all of the technical work and a lot of the 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 talking after games and stuff is them. Uh, in LA, I did a little bit more when I was assistant. It's a little bit different when you're the GM. I certainly don't want to force anything on on the goalies or the players. If they want to come and talk to me, my office is certainly open, and once in a while we'll have a conversation, but certainly not a focus. Um. In the recent past, you've not been afraid to give rookies a chance out of camp to make the team. Um, but when you assess prospects' chances to make the roster out of camp, how much stock goes into previous performance, whether it's in junior or in the AHL or whatever, versus what it looks like in rookie, what you see in rookie camp? Like, what, what's the balance there? there? There's certainly a balance. I mean, if a, if a guy comes in and, and he was a terrible player in American League last year and he comes and lights it up for two weeks, like... <laughs> we all know inevitably what's going to happen here is, and chances are that guy's not going to get much of a look because he didn't earn it last year. Is he going to get a preseason game? He may or he may not. Right. So it's the whole picture. It's how well he did last year. It's how comfortable we feel with him being ready to not only play at a high level for training camp, but for six, seven, eight, nine months. That's the whole thing. It's the hardest part of our job is to try to assess, okay, is this guy just in a little hot streak here or is he that good? Well, if he's real good in American League last year, 
He's coming up here. He's really good in training camp. He's a thick build. He's in great shape. You know, there's other aspects of the, that we know that he's kind of hurdles that he's been through. You make an assessment say, okay, this kid can last. Because otherwise, go to the American League for three months, two months, come up here midway through the year. Who knows? But we can send him down to the American League to find out how he does for three months. But the, the bottom line is, is he going to make our team better? If he's going to make our team better, chances are he's going to be here unless there's circumstances that we just feel it's too risky to, to keep him. We talked about uh, you talked about in the uh, your end of season press conference about a couple of things that you want to try and improve in the off season. One of them being the, the penalty kill. Um, what do you look at that as something that needs to be improved from within, or is that something that you might say when we go when we get to July one, that's something we're going to be maybe hunting for out yeah, there in if, free agency? If you got to be careful because you got a roster size. Right. You got twenty three spots in your roster, and you got to count your players, and you don't want to box kids out that may be ready for the next step. So it's a juggling act. You know, you might look at acquisitions. Can we can we move uh, player for player to get a little better penalty kill, or maybe not as much five on five production? You know, we'll look at all that. Um, I, I I truly believe we can we can uh, improve from within uh, the last. 20, 21, 22, 23 games, our penalty kill was much better. So I feel like we can improve from within. Our young defensemen are going to be a year older, so they should be better. Um, there's going to be guys on the back end that are in that situation probably that weren't in it as much last year, so there's upside there. Um, so, again, we'll look outside if something makes sense, and if not, we'll improve from within. Do you think your the team has an identity right now? Is there an identity that you look at with this team, or is it still building it? We're still building it. To me, our identity has always been, you know, grit, tough, muscle, intimidate. It's a little harder to create that that clear identity nowadays because we can't have three guys that beat people up on our team. (laughs) But our identity under my watch is not going to change in terms of we want to outwork and outwill teams and are we there no we're not there but that's where that's where we want to be and that's 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 our identity that's a 2018 version of of the 70s i mean that's the, the game's evolved and we have to all evolve with it um there's certain areas where we'd like to get better we'd like to get grittier we'd like to get you know, everybody wants to get faster and more skilled and everything else, but we'd like to kind of add all those things, and we feel like with our pipeline now we have some of those assets coming. Is there room in, in hockey, not necessarily just for the Flyers, but is there room in the sport still for physical play, not necessarily fighting per se, but, but you know, checking? I mean, it, it almost yeah. seems like we see it in the playoffs, but the regular season it kind of drops off a little bit there. Yeah, everything gets ramped up in the playoffs. I think the competitiveness gets ramped up. I think the physical play gets ramped up, so you got to be really careful not building your your team for the regular season it's gonna last for two months in the playoffs and again it's not easy you got to have some breaks there certainly you got to try to hopefully stay as healthy as possible um but you you do have to have i like to use the word will because it it kind of encompasses everything where you're at least willing to go to the net in heavy traffic and score a, a dirty goal that you know might win a series for you or a game for you um getting in in the forecheck you still have to bring those elements and it's still a hard game it's not a game where you got to stand up maybe and go toe-to-toe with a guy anymore but it's still a hard game it's a fast game it is a physical game and it may only be once every five games that you get hit real hard 
but you got to have your head up when that when that one's coming because you obviously you can get hurt. Is it frustrating, like as as somebody who's not on the ice any longer, you still are going to have the natural instincts of of a player, but. Um, is it frustrating to know that it seems like the style of play changes so much as you build towards the postseason and the way that you know it gets more physical? Does it make it harder to build a team when it seems like in order to you know find success and to get you know the highest spot in the table, you kind of have to build a team a certain way versus like when it gets to the postseason, it feels like maybe the way that you kind of design the third and the fourth lines to maybe be a better skating group uh, might not be you know the way that the most advantageous as you get to the postseason where physicality yeah. is kind of more of a premium. Yeah. You got to be careful there, and just looking at things through through a vacuum. Where where we've got to look at things. Okay, we we've got to make the playoffs, but then we want to go on the run. So yes, you know, once we get deeper into the playoffs, it is going to get more physical. There's not going to be as many penalties called, and you can get away with more. So you sort of have to uh, do that balancing act of, you know, building it for the regular season, but you know, really. In the end, you want to build it for the playoffs where you can sustain it for two months. And again, the physical play does does come into play. Ron, I have one final question before we wrap this thing up. And this has really nothing to do with the team in and of itself. But just it's a big news and big thing in sports these days is that now sports gambling is legalized. Do new policies now have to be put in place throughout the league or even specifically with the Philadelphia Flyers on how – to address that or how to combat that because it's so available to anyone and everyone, even in, within the organization? Is there is there something there or is that? I can't say right now I know enough about it to answer that question. Okay. What I can say is, is our athletes and our people are really good people. So in terms of from the hockey side, from our side, I, I don't believe this is going to change anything in terms of the, the public. Uh, again, I don't know enough about it to really... Um, to really make an educated comment on it. Okay. So real quick. So when you were with L.A., there came a moment in time where it, it must have felt right to go out and try to make a, a big acquisition in a trade. And that, you know, obviously netted you Mike Richards and eventually Jeff Carter, and you go on to win the Stanley Cup. Uh, is, there, is there a certain tipping point in a season or, or as you're kind of looking at both the short and the long-term window for this team where it starts to feel right, where you have to start kind of assessing whether, you know, between salary cap implications and, and just, you know, having to part with potential young players or draft picks or whatever to make a big splash. Is there a certain tipping point? Is it just a feeling or? It's, well, first of all, that, that, that evaluation is nonstop. Okay, can we add one player that takes us to this level? That's a nonstop evaluation that happens on a, on a certain on a weekly basis. Um, now, in saying that, that doesn't mean you're going to have to go out and make the big splash. Sometimes you can just say, okay, we got this coming here. He's going to fill this box. We get this coming. He's going to fill that box. So you got to be really careful where you say, okay, we need to fill this box, but yet in a year we got a player coming that's going to fill that box. Now what are we going to do with the player that's coming now? So it's a real juggling act where you're looking at term, any asset you acquire, term is important. Do you want a guy for five years? Do you want a guy for, for one year to bridge where we're going here? Or, you know, player X, you want to sign him to a three-year deal because you feel like in two years this kid's coming, then he can, you know, essentially take that box. And again, you mentioned the salary cap. That's a big part of it. So it's a juggling act. It's not easy. You try and evaluate as much as you can and, and be correct as, as, as many times as possible. Great. That'll be all for us. Flyers General Manager Ron Hextall, thanks once again for coming on to the Snow the Goalie podcast. Uh, 
best of luck this summer, and uh, we'll see you soon. All right, guys. Been a pleasure. That, ladies and gentlemen, was Flyers GM Ron Hextall. Uh, a lot of interesting things that he had to say in that interview. Um, Anthony, uh, I, I think we were saying after we got done the interview, one of the things that we'd kind of talked about, and one of the things that I think you did a great job of pressing him on, uh, was kind of bringing up the penalty kill. And it was something that had been kind of bantered about a lot on Twitter uh, leading up to that interview and, and us you know, soliciting questions from people. Um, just exactly what they're going to do to fix the penalty kill, whether it's looking to draft, if it's promoting from within or, or a trade. And you caught on to something um, that I think is, is kind of worth pointing out. He mentioned a name that I hadn't heard of, but you obviously had. Yeah, Nick Kubel, Nick Aubrey Kubel. Um, and, and he's not alone. I mean, it, it, if you go back and listen, uh, if you rewind and, and, and check out when he was talking about the Phantoms, um, I always found, find it interesting when you ask um, a general manager or you know any executive in, in hockey uh, about their their own prospects, the names that they mention are are crucial because he's hinting to you that these are guys that we are thinking about for next season. Um, I mean, he wasn't he you know he was he mentioned the names he mentioned were guys who a lot of people think have a chance to to hang around through camp and maybe you know prove that they belong at the NH- uh, at the NHL level. And so Nick Abekubel is a two-way forward um, who I think could fit in a fourth-line role um, who could be a penalty-kill guy right away. Um, and so the other thing that was interesting is Hextall did kind of indicate in there that he feels like it's the penalty kill can be fixed from within more so than adding somebody. So, you know, the last time he talked to the media, he had mentioned that he was going to keep conversations open with Val Filpola um, about the potential of bringing him back and maybe looking for a a third-line center who can uh, help the penalty kill. And now, to us, he said that he thinks it's something that could be fixed from within. So maybe in the, you know, month since the the season ended and and he got together with the, the scouts and the and uh, his, you know, his team in the um, on the hockey operation side, and they looked at it and said, "Well, geez, do we really want to go out and spend money on a veteran guy who's going to play a bottom six role, you know, and just come in and not really provide a lot of offense, and yeah, help improve the penalty kill? Like, is that worth it, or do we want our young kids to to play in those roles um, where they can succeed killing penalties and then still develop?" Um, even if they're only playing, you know, 8, 10, 12 minutes a night. And I think that they like what they have enough to uh, benefit them in that way. Um, so, uh, you know, you look at Kubel. Um, he mentioned Vorobiev as well. I think Kubel's ahead of Vorobiev um, on the depth chart, but I, I think that that's another guy um, to consider. Um, he singled out uh, Phil Myers. He mentioned Travis Sanheim uh, briefly. Well, yeah, but they're, he, they're, defen- they're defensive. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so, yeah, I think that when you look at it, I think that they're going to – and he also mentioned, he said, we have a couple of guys who are growing into their roles. And I think that he's referencing somebody like a Scott Lawton, for example. Um, so I think you're going to see a lot of Lawton on the penalty kill next year as well. Um and, uh, you know, I don't know about Taylor Lear, maybe. We see a little bit of, of Taylor Lear out there. Um, I would not be surprised if Oscar Lindblom 
is given a chance on the PK because he's such a smart defensive forward as well. Um, so I think that they're going to look at it from who we have and see if they can't turn us around. Because the penalty kill, and everybody wants to blame Ian LaPerriere, and I get it, right? He's been the assistant coach for the last four years, and the penalty kill has gotten progressively worse. I think they were 20, they were 27th four years ago, 20th three years ago, 21st two years ago, 29th last year. Um, so it really hasn't been good for a while. Um, so they want to say, well, it's got to be the coach. Well, sometimes it's the talent that you have on the ice. And so I think that they're looking at it and saying, rather than relying on veteran players as we have for the past four years, maybe if we go to younger players and get quicker legs out there and really kind of you know, find guys who will embrace that role, we can improve it from within. And I think that that's something now – I think that was the most telling thing that we got from this interview as far as roster construction because I think that ultimately – that's what he's. That's what he's suggesting is that, you know, that's where they're gonna they're they're gonna fix the PK from within. And so maybe instead of looking for a penalty killer in free agency, maybe they're looking somewhere else. Maybe they're looking for scoring in free agency, and that could be an that could be an interesting change from what he said a month ago. Yeah, um, I think when it comes to other young players that he kind of mentioned, and I think you know it's it may maybe time to buy some Phil Meyer stock. Uh, for next season as a guy who might be able to kind of find his way onto this roster, especially knowing that Sanheim is going to be coming off of uh, an injury, as is Sam Moran, who I think isn't even going to be available. Yeah. Moran, uh, to start Moran's the, going to be to out start until, the season. until January at least. So, um, so I, think, I think to some extent you might be able to see if Phil Myers goes in and has a really good camp. Um, kind of speaking to a, a thing that Hextall had kind of mentioned about, you know, what is it that, that kind of in your mind gets a guy, you know, from – being a, a minor league player for playing in the AHL uh, and, and making that jump to the NHL. And he, he said, obviously, a lot of it kind of depends on the experience and what the guy brought to the table uh, in the AHL season um, versus like just being a standout at, at like a rookie camp or in a training camp. Um, so I, I think Phil Myers is is going to maybe turn some heads and perhaps he has a, a decent shot to make the roster. But the one guy who I think is going to definitely get an ego boost off of this has to be Alex Lyon. Uh, he, he spoke pretty glowingly of, uh, Alex Lyon in, in that interview, mentioned him multiple times. I'm looking at the transcript that I meticulously spent, uh, like two hours transcribing today. Um, but he mentioned Alex Lyon a lot and, you know, I, I guess you could read it one of two ways. Uh, you know, maybe this is going to be part of a, uh, a public tour of sorts, a, a public PR thing where he's going to go run around and, um, you know, to pretty much anyone who will listen, will hype up Alex Lyon for one of two reasons. And that could either be because there's potential intrigue um, and, and you know, a potential that maybe he's looking to trade a young player like Alex Lyon, um, you know, promoting his high upside and the fact that he's not an older player. Or maybe it's because he really does genuinely think that, you know, Michael Neuwirth is just not reliable uh, injury-wise. That's something I, I kind of wanted to push him on, but he was smiling, he was laughing, uh, and we were having a good time with him, so I didn't want to, you know, uh, kind of take the air out of the situation. I, I liked our uh, the mood that we had going with Hextall, but, um, you know, I, I don't think that Neuwirth has, has ever proven that he can be reliable, and I think most of that is through injuries, and obviously you can't plan your way around that, right? Like, you can't plan going into a season that you know Neuwirth is going to be injured because injuries are... You know, they, they just happen. It just seems like they happen so much more to Neuvirth. Um, But you've got to think that, you know, between Elliot or Neuvirth, that one of those guys might not start the season uh, on the team or, you know, throughout the season as, as other teams lose a backup goalie or lose a starting goalie for a short time. 
you know, maybe they make to they look to make a move and they feel comfortable enough that Alex Lyon can, you know, fill in in a backup role, maybe 20 games in the season or however many games that Dave Haxtell decides to put him out on the ice. Yeah, I mean, I Carter Hart is going to be on the Phantoms and he's going to get a lot of the playing time. Um, Please repeat that again for all the people in the back who are going to scream about it on Twitter after they listen to this. Carter Hart is going to be on the Phantoms and he's going to get a lot of playing time. He's going to be the number one goalie, I think, on the Phantoms this year. Um, the question becomes, do they go into the season with Elliot and Neuver again and Alex Lyon as the first call-up and Lyon as the backup to Carter Hart? Um, <coughs> or do they move someone and Alex Lyon is your NHL backup? I mean, the other name that we're forgetting in all this is Anthony Stolarz. Who's At dealt- Stoli, the goalie on Twitter. Yeah. Who's dealt with a lot of... Uh, a lot of injuries, and um, because of that, he um, he's kind of you know fallen down the depth chart. But I still think that the Flyers look at him and say, "This guy's an NHL level backup goalie." Um, so maybe you move somebody. Lions your Lions starts as your NHL backup, and Stolarz backs up Carter Hart. And then Stolarz would be the first guy called up if there's an injury at the NHL level. You know what I'm saying? So I think that I mean you can't you can't go you can't carry all five. Somebody's got to go. And that was the thing. Like it was interesting. Like when I brought up the question to Ron, and uh, you're not going to hear it because he talked glowingly about his goalies, but he didn't make a facial expression because it became apparent when I asked the question that. Yeah, we got a little bit of a logjam, and somebody's going to have to go. Um, and so I, I'm curious to see the path that the Flyers will take to eliminate one of those five goalies. Because none of them are going to go play in the ECHL. Okay? Um, all f- four of them will be with the team. One of them certainly will not. I'm just curious to see which is the one that's not with them. Yeah, that question he asked about the goalies, I think was, I think that probably got one of the more terse reactions from him. Um, and, and yeah, I think it, you're, you're obviously right. I mean, the comparison that I would make in this is kind of like, um, it was, I guess, two years ago when Brian Colangelo was kind of presented this, this issue that the Sixers had three or four centers that they were looking to rotate. And, you know, it was very clear that they had to get rid of the log jam. Like they, you don't have enough minutes for these guys. And, you know, ten, kind of to your point, like at some point, you know, if, if the goal is to keep Elliot and, and Neuvert, like you don't have enough minor league reps uh, to give to Stolars or to give to uh, uh, Lyon. And where San- Sandstrom's abroad still, right? Like, that's just an- another guy that they have in their system. So, you know, I-, I guess you just don't have enough minutes. You don't have enough um, playing time for these guys. And ultimately, I think anybody within the organization and anybody who knows anything about this team knows that Carter Hart is the future. And so, you know, while there were people that kind of wanted to see the Flyers go out and maybe you're still hoping that the Flyers go out and make either a trade or make a signing for a goaltender this offseason. Just doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, you know, to to sign a guy in for multiple years, it just doesn't make sense when you've got Carter Hart, you know, right over the horizon. And unlike a lot of uh, Flyers goalie prospects in the past, this one seems legit. It always, I, I don't know, it, it's always seemed like in the past that, you know, you heard about Anthony Stolarz and it, and it seemed like, okay, you know, like, seems like a good kid seems like they might actually have something here and you know you put Sergei Bobrovsky aside because he was banished to Siberia during the Stanley Cup run um you know he obviously was the one that the organization missed on you know they 
they went out of their way to go and sign Ilya Brizgalov, which was obviously a disaster. And and they unloaded, you know, the best goaler, the best goaltender they've had in probably the entire time that I've watched the Flyers uh, since like probably middle school. So uh, yeah, it's 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 rough, but you've got Carter Hart there. There's no reason to go out and make a big signing, and and obviously it's just stop gaps for the next year or two until he's ready. Yeah, and 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 Ron mentioned that too, um, not directly with the, with the goalie situation, but he referred to what I thought was an interesting thing on your last question, I believe it was. Um, when he said that you have to consider what box a player is going in and then you know you have someone coming to fill that box, well, how long do you want that person to be a placeholder in that box? And um, so it was a really kind of a, a, a telling thing. Like if they think Carter Hart can be an NHL goalie in 2019-20, well, then why would you you know, want, want – to do anything else besides what you already have for eighteen nineteen, like you, there, it doesn't make any sense. And yeah, you you might have slightly below average goaltending um, for this upcoming year, and that might make a lot of fans bristle a little bit. But the fact of the matter is, is that they look at it and say, "Well, here's who we have coming," and it doesn't make any sense for us because who else are you going to get on a one year contract? You know, you're that's. They're the kinds of goalies that you're going to get, you know, the the Michael Neuver, Brian Elliott's of the world who are okay, um, probably better as backups than as starters, but, you know, they can be okay if they stay healthy. Uh, and, and, you know, they're not going to steal playoff series for you, but they can get you to the playoffs. Obviously, that tandem got the Flyers to the playoffs this year. Um, so... You know that's that's what the Flyers are going to do, um, and they're not going to rush Carter Hart along. They're just not. Uh, the only way I see Carter Hart playing in the NHL this year would be really late in the season, and primarily if there's a couple of injuries in goal in front of him, kind of like what we saw at the end of the season, right? Or, yeah. or the team completely stinks, and Hextall has to, you know trade off some pieces and they're just kind of playing out the string maybe they give him a chance to play a couple games at the nhl level and see how he does that's those are really the only two scenarios where i where i see carter hart playing for the team this year so you just got to wait a year and and that's okay he's 19 years old you know he's not going to come in and and suddenly you know be the savior at 19 i mean think about go back through the history of hockey and find 19 year old goalies who came in and just stole the show it just doesn't happen. I mean, you've had 19-year-old goalies who've been okay and then turned out to be great players, um, but you know they don't just come in and suddenly be the best goalie in hockey. It just doesn't happen. So just be patient with Carter Hart. You know, kind of to your point about uh, Hextall's last answer to that, to the question where I, I, what I was really trying to, to get at in a, I guess, in an indirect way um, by kind of mentioning the Mike Richards and Jeff Carter trades are are kind of, you know, the proposed deals that are out there. Um, you know, I, I guess Eric Carlson's is, you know, one that certainly is is one that people are considering and even a big free agent signing like John Tavares, which we've talked about in the past is probably unlikely. Uh, we don't know what interest there is on the Flyers side or Tavares' side. But, you know, I'm, I'm looking at his exact quote here. And, and you know, he mentions because I, I had even brought up the salary cap there and he said, well, do you want a guy for five years? You want a guy for one year? Uh, do you want a guy for one year to bridge? Uh, 
and then he kind of goes on to say, like, do you want a player that's just assigned to a three-year deal? Um, and because you think that a kid's ready to come up in two years. And the, the way that he kept mentioning the years and the way that he kind of circled back around to the salary cap certainly makes me think that in, in the case of a Carlson, you know that that's going to be a long-term deal, right? We're probably talking six, seven years. Um, and they've got a lot of great depth in the organization at, at defensemen. So I, I don't know if if that's really something that they're going to look to to get themselves involved in. Um, and we said they have, what, $17 million in, in cap space. They have a few RFAs that they need to make offers to. I'm just not so sure that, you know, even if they have the value, which I think they do, like I, I think between the two draft picks they have, uh, with and even if you include Gudis or Simmons or whoever else, you think that the team might be ready to kind of part ways with or at, at least kind of, you know, uh, maybe go in a slightly different direction. I think they have the assets to make a big trade, but you have to look at the long-term ramifications of it, right? And even in the case of Tavares, you know, I, I said on the last show, you run into a, a massive issue where this guy might make anywhere between 9 and $11 million. I mean, 11 is probably high, but $9 million is is certainly a safe bet. And if that's where you're at, uh, you're you're looking at such a uh, a top heavy cap team that you know you still have Voracek and Giroux both under contract for quite a while, and you've taken any kind of flexibility that you have with this roster and you're essentially throwing it into the fire, you know, in in the hopes that you're going to contend this year. And between Carter Hart not being ready yet, and a couple of these younger defensemen, you know, if you if you want to include Phil Myers or Sanheim or whomever, you know, I I don't think the window's there yet. I think this team is still, and it sucks because it feels like we say it almost every year, but I think this team is another year away from, you know, really contending and, you know, getting rid of any cap flexibility that you have by bringing in the long-term cap hit of a Carlson or the long-term cap hit of a Tavares. I'm just not so sure that that's the best thing for the team. Would it be fun? Yeah. Would it make you a much more legitimate contender in the conference? Yeah. But do I do I think that as currently constructed that this team is going to, you know, win a Stanley Cup? No, not as currently constructed. It doesn't mean that things won't change over the offseason, but I, I just don't see it yet. And I'm very hesitant to give out, you know, a seven to, to eleven million dollar contract over six, seven years. Yeah. And not to mention, I don't know if you saw the utterly crazy story <clears throat> involving Eric Carlson and his wife. No. <laughs> So Carlson's wife um, has f- filed a uh, protection order against um, the girlfriend of Senator's teammate Mike Hoffman. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, apparently, uh, she's accusing the girlfriend, whose name is uh, Monica Carrick, of harassing her and um, and Eric Carlson. Um all about the death of they had a, a, a stillborn baby, and oh. so Carlton's wife is accusing this Monica Carrick um, of, of things. Here's here's some here's a quote. This is from the uh, Ottawa Citizen. Monica Carrick has uttered numerous statements wishing my unborn child dead. She also uttered that she wished I was dead and that someone should take out my husband's legs to end his career. Monica Carrick has posted over 1,000 negative and derogatory statements about me as a professional. Interesting Good. stuff. Good God. Right? I mean, so what does that tell you about – I mean, how can how can either of them stay in Ottawa at this point? Right? I mean, Eric Carlson's got to be like, I got to get out because – I mean, as if he didn't want to leave already. Right. I mean, that's certainly Because reason. his wife is now the target of media attention. Um, Mike Hoffman – like what does it do? What do you do if you're Mike Hoffman? You got to I mean, think though that this might affect his trade value, then, right? 
Oh, like, absolutely. Because, because now, now it certainly not only looks like Carlson was kind of in a lame duck year there, where he was certainly going to be looking to leave after this season, but but now he's got added incentive. And you bring the family aspect of this in, and it, uh, man, that that really does change things. Oh, absolutely. So the question is, is you know, I mean, you know, the Flyers were kind of uh, for a short time there linked to the possibility of trading for a Mike Hoffman. Well, I, obviously, I don't think that's going to happen now. I would not. But really, it's 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 it makes everything's far more interesting as far as Carlson is concerned because it probably knocks his value down for the Senators. I mean, I, I mean, he's still going to get the Senators are still going to get something for him, but you're really taking on a a strange case. Um, and here we are, you know, the week before the draft, and a lot of trades happen this week. Uh, leading up to the draft, a lot of trades happen between the draft and July first. Um, so there's the next couple of weeks are are very busy weeks in the NHL, um, and to have this this bomb dropped this at, at this time is is kind of crazy. And I'm not certain uh, I'm not certain that it's going to bode well for the Ottawa Senators. I know that we mentioned this, we brought up this hypothetical in the past, but obviously anybody who's going to make a trade for Carlson is probably going to want to have that moment with the agent to kind of work out you know, what a long-term deal would look like. Based on the fact that his value might have taken a hit, I, I mean, I would think that the Flyers would have to be interested, even if it's on a one-year deal. Um, would you have any interest in that scenario, knowing that he might not be locked in long-term, but you can kind of play it out for a year and see how it goes? You know, if, if it's, say, it's like 19 and Gudis or 14 and Gudis or, you know, some combination of picks and a vet just for the sake of the player-for-player player swap and taking a little bit of salary back. Do you make that deal for a, for a one year Eric Carlson rental? Yeah, I do too. Yeah, All I right. do because if I'm Ron Hextall, I'm confident that so many players come to Philadelphia and like just fall in love with the area. They never leave. Flyers players always they either they they love it here and they stick around, or they get traded away and then they come back. Whatever the case might be, they all stay here. So it's one of the things that I think the Flyers have been so successful with over the years is convincing players why this is such a good spot for them and their families. So even if Carlson's not willing to negotiate a new deal up front, I think it's worth the gamble because you then have a full year to kind of prove to him, yeah, this is where you want to be and this is where you're going to win your Stanley Cup. Um, so yeah, I mean, I would I would do that. If it was only one of the picks and, and a player, yeah, I would do it. I, I, I don't think Gudis gets it done. <clears throat> I think you're going to probably have to give up a a, uh, a prospect to go along with the pick, um, but I would still do it. I would as well. I think it's it's certainly worth uh, worth the risk, and if nothing else, it gets you a little bit more stability in your defensive core, and it gives you know a, a real constant professional for the rest of these young kids uh, to look up to and to kind of learn from, and that kind of value. Uh, for as much as Hextall talked about the the importance of the AHL playoff run on a lot of these younger players to just, you know, learn what it's like to play in, in the postseason, um, I think, you know, you can't really quantify um, the kind of impact that having a legitimate pro uh, at your position can do and, and the kind of impact that it can have on all these younger defensemen. So, well, Anthony, I guess that's a good place for us to wrap. Uh, big thank you, as always, to the people who listen to our show, especially those who've been listening from day one, but also a very big welcome to all of the new fans and all the new listeners that we picked up as part of this Ron Hextall interview. If you haven't done so, uh, subscribe to the show. 
If you go on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts, uh, you should be able to find us and be able to subscribe. If you can, get over to iTunes or Apple Podcasts, whatever the app is on your phone or on your desktop or laptop or whatever. Leave a five-star rating. The five-star rating uh, helps us out a lot. And the five-star review, if you write one, is something that we will read on air uh, on the next episode. So make sure you do that. If you enjoyed this show, don't forget to go check out the other shows on the Crossing Broad Podcast Network, including Crossing Broadcast every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday with uh, me and Kyle Scott from uh, you know Crossing Broad, the guy who founded the site. Uh, Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast on Tuesdays with Anthony and Bob Wankel. Really awesome baseball show. It's the must the must listen to Phillies podcast. Of course, on the weekend we have Crossing Broad FC, which is a show that kind of covers world soccer. So that can be European leagues. We'll be covering the World Cup. That's uh, me and Phil Kaidel, who contributes to CrossingBroad.com, has also written in the past about Manchester City and uh, world football for uh, Bleacher Report. So go check that show out. And of course, it's always soccer in Philadelphia with Kevin Kincaid and Dave Zeitlin. That is a must listen to if you are a fan of the Philadelphia Union. Uh, all of those shows are brought to you by the Crossing Broad Podcast Network. So do the same thing that you're going to do for Snow the Goalie. Go subscribe, leave a five-star rating, five-star review, and uh, we'll make sure that we read those on those shows. So a big thank you once again to all of the listeners. A big thank you, of course, to Anthony for uh, getting Ron no, Hextall to the all show. All Zach Hill from the Flyers, man. Well, he, big he, thank you to, to Zach, who was a very nice guy. Yeah. Uh, that was It was awesome of him to set that up. So for Anthony, at AntSanPhilly on Twitter, I'm Russ Joy, at Joy on Broad. Hit us up on Twitter. Let us know what you think of the interview. Let us know what you thought of Hextall's answers. And uh, let us know if there's anything you think we missed. Uh, For Anthony, I'm Russ. We'll talk to you again next week.